0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I want to invite you to the book of Luke if I can. And while you're finding your place there, I want to ask you a question that... um, As I was going through the book of Luke uh, some time ago, I feel like I got to the passage that we're going to look at uh, tonight, and the Lord began to burn my heart about a a certain topic that I want to uh, preach to you tonight, if I can. And let me ask you this question as we even dive into it. What kind of person do you think God should love? What kind of person do you think that God should welcome into his family? Now, uh, I, I don't know about you, you know, a lot of times the spitfire answer from people outside the walls is that, God loves the good people of the world. Now, you think about that for a second. I mean, does God simply love the good people? You know, the people who give thousands or millions to start orphanages in Africa? Or does God love the good moral family who, you know, comes into church and gives and serves? And um, does God simply love the good people of the world? Because in saying that God loves good people, there's implying that there are some people in the world that we would deem as bad, right? All right, so follow me on this. So let me ask you again, who is it that God loves? And who does he welcome into his family? Does God love the million plus ladies who walk into an abortion clinic in a year's time? Does does God love the drug addicts who go from rehab to rehab to rehab and can't seem to shake the urge from one fix to another? Does God love the prostitute on the street who, who doesn't like the lifestyle that she's living but doesn't know a way to get out? Does God love the prisoner on death row? Does God love the members of the LGBT community and the transgender movement that is so rapidly growing in our country? Who is it that God loves? And I love questions like that because it it really gets at the heart of who God is, his very nature. And so I want to answer that question from the text that we're going to look at tonight. Who it is that God loves And then I want to see, you know, as God's people, what is our response to that, okay? So Luke chapter 15, I want to look at a very, very familiar passage of scripture. I feel like one that can be easily uh, glossed over if we're not careful. Uh, We come to a passage like this and we know what it says, we know what it means, and so it's easy to glaze over, if you will. And so I only say that to to draw your attention tonight, let's look at these verses and come at it with a fresh perspective and ask the Lord what he'd have us to learn from it. I wish we had time to read all 32 verses. We don't, but I, w- I want to read the first 10 verses to you uh, tonight if I can. And I, th- I think that'll be a good manageable passage that we can uh, tackle tonight. So Luke chapter 15, let's read the first 10 verses. The Bible says, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Now it's a big deal because verse, or chapter 14 ends with Jesus saying, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Well, the people that came to hear Jesus teach and preach were publicans and sinners. It's a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is because of verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Amen. All right, so did you notice the almost the parallel there? You had the publicans and sinners that were coming to hear Jesus. And then you had the Pharisees and scribes who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the day murmuring against Jesus because of what he was doing. All right, so let's dive into verse 3. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep which was lost. And here's the reason. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So if you're following the drift of what Jesus is saying, he's saying that these these sinners get special attention because they're lost. They get special attention. All right, verse 8. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece... Doth not light a candle and sweep the house, just in case she missed it, and seek diligently till she find it. Verse 9, and when she had found it, she called her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. I don't know if it's you, but I love this passage of Scripture, man. It fires me up. And I think the reason, a lot of the reason that it does is because you and I see ourselves in this passage of Scripture. At one point in time, you and I were lost sheep, and at one point was a lost coin. I love the book of Luke. I was saying that I just got done reading through there, and one of the things that stuck out about the book of Luke as I was reading through is the fact that it's there's a lot of things that are unique about it. But one is that it's got a season two, if you will, a sequel. So you got the book of Luke and the book of Acts that function together, they go together and really put together one big idea. And so and it's one that, uh, that our man Peter struggled with uh, early in the church. And that was the idea that Gentiles were being accepted into God's family. Now, this was um, really a light bulb moment for the Jews and in the Jewish community because before uh, Jesus came, really, a lot of these Gentiles were looked at as outsiders. They weren't welcome into the Jewish family. They weren't welcome into God's family in, in a lot of ways. And they were excluded, especially as we see in a lot of the Gospels, by even some of the religious leaders themselves. Yeah, so Luke writes in both Luke and Acts really to nail home the idea that Gentiles were being accepted in God's family. And you know, Peter struggled with it. Remember, uh, remember Paul? Man, mean, he got up in his face about it. Remember that? And called him out in front of his buds. I mean, seriously, uh, Peter was there and, and everything was going good. And I mean, it was cool in theory that, that the, Jew, the Gentiles were being accepted until they showed up for church. You know what I mean? Then it got weird. It was like, man, why is that guy wearing that? And why does that guy smell like that? And why does that guy talk like that? I mean, literally, that was the conflict that was happening in the early church. It was, here are these Gentiles. And so Luke was writing to remind these Jews and, and the family that Gentiles, these outsiders, were being welcomed. God was welcoming them. And so Luke puts together several stories, and he pieces them together to really prove and show that point. Well, I, I love, I love, there's so many stories we could look at in the book of Luke. I, one of the first ones that just caught my attention as I was reading through is in Luke chapter 4. It really sets the stage for the entire book. And, and it's the story when Jesus, for one of the first times, comes into the temple to teach and to preach. Now, I don't know about you, I'm pretty awesome. Can you imagine the first time? I mean, scroll comes, you know, out and Jesus is getting ready to, I'm just, I'm imagining he's going to throw it down, you know. I mean, this is just going to be a... One of those messages, you know, it just fires you up. And and it is in in some ways. So he preaches from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And really the crux of his message was that the good news of the kingdom or the gospel had come to the poor. To the brokenhearted. To the bruised. And it was really a mic drop type of message. No doubt about it because you read the story in Luke chapter 4. Jesus reads the text and then goes and sits down. And there's no doubt at all that what Jesus said that day ruffled some feathers. Oh man, it made some people hot. They were mad at what Jesus said. Not only was he claiming to be the fulfillment of that, but he was also saying that the the gospel or the kingdom, that the one that they had been anticipating was going to be opened up for those outside of those that they would accept. They weren't okay with it. I mean, these guys were the epitome of spirituality. They were spirituality on legs. I mean, they held the traditions. They fulfilled the law. They fasted. They prayed. They worshiped. Man, they wore the religious garb. They walked in the marketplace. And people, when they walked by, I mean, they worshiped these guys. I mean, can you imagine as they walked by and their tummy grumbled from their 40-day fast? And they'd make a big deal about it. Oh, man, did you hear that? I mean, this is, you know, I've been fasting. I've been praying. I mean, these guys, they love to be respected. And here was Jesus, loving on those they wouldn't be caught dead with. They wanted nothing to do with the outsiders in the community. That's why, but Jesus did. He loved people, and that's what took him to minister to a Samaritan woman in John chapter four. Yeah. Yeah. You know the lady who had been from relationship to relationship to relationship, and Jesus called her on the carpet. He said, "The one your wit's not even your husband." And she came for water and she left with living water. I mean, you, you can't mistake the fact that her life was changed that day. That's what made Jesus reach out to a Syrophoenician woman. It's what, Je- what made Jesus reach out and touch a leprous person who people would stand at a distance. I mean, they were outsiders. They lived in the colonies outside the city. And people didn't want to touch them. When they wanted nothing to do with them. Yet Jesus touched them. He loved them. He cared for them. It's what made Jesus call a tax collector. I mean, remember the story of Zacchaeus? You can read about it just a couple chapters later in the book of Luke. He looks up in a sycamore tree because Zacchaeus had climbed it to see him. And he looks at a tax collector, the person that was hated in the Jewish community. I mean, these guys literally made a living of ripping off other Jews. I mean, they were turncoats. They were cheats. They were punks. And, and here's the deal. Jesus looked up in the tree and said, come down, Zacchaeus. I'm going with you. I'm going to your house today. Yeah. And, and you read the story and you know Zacchaeus' life changed that day. He goes from ripping off other Jews to giving back to those Jews and other Jews in excess. Yes. Yeah. It's an awesome story. Man. Jesus changed the life of a tax collector. It's what made him look at a man named Levi early on in the book of Luke. And, and Jesus says that he was literally in the process of ripping off another Jew. When Jesus looked at him, he said, Matthew, come on. Yeah. Come follow me. What What made Jesus do this? What, what made Jesus look at the people that were that were the undeserving people, what, what people would look at and, and deem as undeserving? What made Jesus look at these people and love them and care for them? What made him seek out opportunities to be with them, to love them? I love that question because Jesus answers it for us. He does. And, and three parables and. We're going to look at the first two just for a couple minutes tonight. He starts with the parable of the, the sheep and the shepherd. Now, I love this parable. It's one that we've heard a lot. He tells of a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and he's counting the sheep, one, two, three, four, five, six, and he gets to 99, but he comes up one short. Now, I don't know how you've read verse number four, but I've always read it kind of like Jesus was telling a story, and he is. He is in a lot of ways, but verse four stuck out to me this last time I was reading it. And it's because it's a question. It's not really even just a statement. Jesus says, what man among you? Okay, so what he's about to describe is not some random, impossible shepherd doing the incredible. What he's about to describe is what any typical average Joe shepherd would do. So he looks at these guys and he says, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and one goes astray, one walks away, one wanders away, wouldn't leave the 99 and go after the one? What, he's he's saying what what shepherd wouldn't do that? I uh, we've got uh, five boys and sometimes we will venture out and go to the mall. Very rarely, I mean, very rarely do we ever do that. But if we do, if we get the nerve and go, you know, I always have to keep a, a close eye on Hayes. He's call him Hayes in the days because he's just in another world ninety nine percent of the time, you know. And uh, and so. Uh, when we're in the mall or something, I just have to keep an eye on because he just wanders. He'll look at this you know, store and looking for this and looking for that. So I always have to keep him on task. Well, uh, so what would you think of me as a, as a dad if he wandered off? And I looked at my wife and I said, well, at least we have four, baby. <laughs> you know, I mean, you laugh. And, and the only reason I say that is to say that you know by our relationship um, being his father and, and the relationship that's there, the value that he has in my eyes, I would never do that. Right. Yeah. And, and so what Jesus is describing really is nothing less. Right. He says that every sheep matters to the shepherd, so when one goes astray, when one is lost, he gets special attention because he is lost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. His point is this, that every sheep matters to the shepherd. Right. Right. Every sheep matters to the shepherd. And his point really is this, every person matters to God. Yes. Every person matters to God. Yes. Not, the, not just the people that we think deserve God's love, but even the people that we don't think deserves God's love and everyone in between. Every person matters to God. Every person has value to God. Yes. Now, how do, you, how do you determine that? I mean, how do you determine value? So follow me on this. Because uh, I, I think this to be right, that value is what you and I are willing to pay for something. All right? Now, now follow me on this because I know what holds value in your eyes may not hold uh, value in my eyes. I, I like to run, and so there's just certain running shoes, you know, that you just need. If you're going to run, you're going to run long distance and stuff like that. They just work better. So hokas or brooks or, you know, you go down the line. Problem is that a lot of those are pretty expensive shoes, you know, but if you're going to run the long distance and you, you know, okay, that shoe works for me and it's got this arch and I'm willing to shell out the dough for it. Does that make sense? Because yeah. it holds value in my eyes. And you do the same thing, whether it's a pair of Nikes or, or Ariat boots or whatever it might be. If it holds value in your eyes, you're willing to shell out the dough for it. You're willing to pay what it is that it costs. Now, I mean, how many of us have looked at a price tag, you know, at a store or whatever and thought, I'm not paying it. You know, it's, it's not worth it to me. Okay, so how do I know that people hold value in God's eyes? Because I know what he was willing to pay for every single person to be restored back into a relationship with God, the creator. And you you look at the cross, you know that God values people. You see, justice and love come together. People hold value in God's eyes. That's what Jesus is trying to say. God's very nature is love for every single person. Every person matters to God. You know, a lot of times I'm watching your face and, you know, and, and I think that we all rejoice in that fact because many of us have experienced that love. We understand that because we've experienced it. And we know that. We know that God loves people. We know that his very nature is love for people. But Jesus also says this, and this is the part that we don't always like. In the second parable, he talks about a lady who has 10 coins, and she misplaces one. She loses one of the coins. And do you notice what she does in, in the text? She lights a candle, she sweeps the house, and she seeks diligently until she finds it. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's not simply enough to know that God loves people. Jesus is saying this, He is the embodiment of God's love in the lives of people. He was living out God's nature in the lives of people. He went into the lives of those who were lost to point them back to God. These people were lost. The the sinners of the day, the tax collectors of the day, the prostitutes of the day, they weren't looking for God. They needed someone to go and pursue them to come back to God. Jesus was saying this, God loves people, and I'm acting out that love in the lives of people. Amen. You know, how many of us have, have lost something, and, uh, and you know, w- when you lose something that has value in your eyes, I mean, the typical question is, I mean, w- what, do you, what do you do when you lose something that has value to you? What do you do? You hunt for it. You look for it, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. You, if you lose something that has value in your eyes... Doesn't it almost seem like life hits a pause button until you find what was lost? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and that's exactly what Jesus is describing. He says that this lady who loses or misplaced the coin, I mean, she she lights the candles, she sweeps the house. I mean, can you imagine a first century house trying to, you know, with a, 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 a... a, uh, a, a sweeper trying to, you know, dust flying everywhere, trying to find this coin. And she's moving furniture. She's doing whatever it takes in order to find what was lost. Yeah. That's what Jesus is describing. And Jesus is really saying that he's doing that in the lives of lost people. It's right. why it was taking him to minister to these people who were outsiders. It's why he was ministering to the outcasts in society. He loved people because God loved people. And he was going to them to point them to God. If we can say it this way, pursuing people in Jesus' life became his number one priority. Pursuing people became his number one priority. And this is where the Lord challenged me because many times I like to rejoice in the fact that God loves people. But sometimes I stop there. It's like, man, I, I know that God loves people. I know that he cares for people. I know that he values people. And sometimes I stop there and don't take the next step of what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is saying is this, that he was acting out that, life, that love in the lives of people. And he was making, pursuing them his number one priority in life. I'm telling you, I got a lot of things that vie for my attention and, and time and everything else. And a list of priorities I would say every day. I'm not one to necessarily sit there and list them all out. But a lot of things that, that would demand time and attention. And Lord convicted me on this because I would say that, that reaching out into the lives of lost people is a priority. But is it priority number one in my life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. I don't think it always is. I, uh, I, uh, we used to have a 2009 Hyundai Santa Fe. And I love that car. Um, we have too many kids to fit into it now. But, uh, so, but I, lo- I love that car. The problem with the car was that it only had one hard copy key. And so, you probably know where I'm going with this, but, so, I'd come in from a long day, threw my phone, my wallet, my key down, kind of went about my business throughout the, the evening, and came back to it at the end of the night, and uh, my phone was there, my wallet was there, but my key was gone. Well, I mean, we got five kids, so you do the math, that's 20% chance somebody's guilty, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so, our oldest boy, Graham, was like, yeah, I think I saw Hayes running through the house with it. I thought, okay, you didn't think to stop the wild child from running through the house with their only, you know. So anyway, so we started the process. We started in the kid's room, and we're tearing stuff out. If you've had toddlers, then you know this key could be anywhere, right? Right. All right. So, I mean, we're pulling stuff out, clothes, and we're turning, you know, toy bins, and we're looking everywhere for this thing, nothing. So we go into the living room, and uh, I stick my hand into the couch, which is always scary. You know, you go in for a key, but you come out, with way more than you bargained for, you know, uh, come out with Cheetos and a stone that used to be a sandwich and, you know, and so, and so sure enough, nothing, process formulation, nothing, and uh, not in the living room. So finally we get down to the kitchen and uh, break it all the way down to the trash can. I'm telling you, when it rains, it pours, you know what I mean? So I opened the trash can and I had just taken out the trash. Well, go out of our garage, and I don't know how it is here in Amarillo, we have community trash cans. So we have one trash can for probably every six or seven homes. Yeah. So I go out there, and you can't make this stuff up, you know? I mean, we go out there, and I I look down the, the alleyway at our trash can. Lid is just propped open, full of trash bags everywhere. You know, we need to, like, schedule trash takeout times, you know? It never fails. All of our neighbors, we all take out the trash on the exact same night. You know, so it piles high. So I thought, well, you know, it's our only key. I don't know what else to do. So uh, I kind of looked both ways. Our house is on a big open lot. So I looked both ways kind of to see, you know, if anybody, because I knew my reputation was about to be blown, you know. I don't, you know, what else do you do? So I step up on the trash can, open the lid, push it back, and I grab that first trash bag and pull. And it's a great value bag. It's got to be. So it rips, you know, and juice kind of flies on your face. And it's like the one time you wish that you didn't have a beard, you know, because it kind of stays in there for about two weeks and, you know, it's just filthy. And so I, I get that first trash bag and I, I move it, finally reach down two or three layers to the trash bag, you know, to find the one, one small, what is seemingly insignificant, one small little key, right? To find one key in the bottom of a trash bag. How filthy and nasty it is. But the truth is that when we lose something that has value to us, what do we do? Don't we look for it? I mean, sometimes it leads us to a trash can. Sometimes it it leads to juice flying across and Popeye chicken bones flying that way. And The truth is that when when something has value in our eyes and it's lost, it's like life hits a pause button until we find what is lost. And what Jesus is describing is really nothing less. What the lady does, and he describes it in three phrases, but really, you can put it this way, she tears her house apart looking for a lost coin. One coin, one coin, one out of 10. And Jesus is saying that every, to this lady, every coin mattered. In the, in the parable of the sheep, every sheep matters. Yeah. Yeah. Every person matters to God, and they're worth pursuing worth pursuing. Can I tell you that, because this is where the Lord challenged me, you know, I, I love people. In fact, I, I wouldn't be going to start a church in El Paso if I didn't love people and care for people, but many times we're so guilty of going about our week, going, starting another week and, and going through it and totally forgetting what our mission is as a church, yeah. what God has called us to do and to be in a dark world. Can I tell you, God wants to use you this week in the lives of a lost person. Maybe it's across the belt. I, I don't know exactly everybody's scenario in here, but here's what I do know. That you and I are plan A for reaching the world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And there's not a plan B. When you think about this, I mean... God, the God creator God who spoke the worlds into existence. I mean, couldn't he have wrote the Romans road in cloud form up in the sky for everybody to see? I'm not to sure be trite. I'm just being honest. God is a powerful God. He could have chosen any format, any way to get the gospel out. Yet he looked at a bunch of scared out of their mind disciples and said, go reach the world. Yes. Yeah. Go share the truth, the message of the gospel. And, and the truth of it is that we have the same job today. This is not a guilt message, I assure you. this is not a guilt message of saying, "We need to be doing better." It's all, but it is a shot in the arm to say this, that what God has called us to do and to be in this world is a light to lost people. Yeah. He's yeah. called us to pursue them with the message of Jesus Christ and to make it our priority in life. Yes. Amen. Good. What brings joy to God? Think about that, eh? wrote down some things, you know, that people say, church attendance or giving to missions or good family or doing this or that. But the truth is our our text told us exactly what it is that brings joy to God. What brings joy to God is when something that is lost becomes found. Did you you read it? And when the sheep comes home, the shepherd can't help it. He gets the friends and neighbors together and says, let's throw a party. It's, let's rejoice for what was lost is found. And in the story of the lady who misplaced the coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors and they rejoice for what was lost was found. And Jesus says in the exact same way there's rejoicing in all of heaven when a lost sinner finds Jesus. Amen. I, uh, I remember um, preaching with my dad at a prison um, in Huntsville, Texas. It was a high security prison and I'm just going to be honest, I was scared out of my mind, you know. We're pull up and huge fences, barbed wire, guards walking around with guns, you know. And So we so we walk in and the, the chaplain meets us there that, that works in the prison. And uh, he told us, he said, Brother Mikey and Todd, and, and you're going to go in this first door and there's going to be this little skinny yellow line. Don't get off the yellow line. I thought, what happens if you get off the yellow line, you know? I'm, I'm intrigued. So the door opens and... And there's cells going all the way up, three stories. And so we, we stay on the yellow line. I'm looking at my waistline thinking, that ain't six inches, you know. So I don't know whether to scoot sideways or what. But we stay on the yellow line. And, man, people are yelling at you, screaming at you. And some encouraging, some not so encouraging, you know. So finally we get to the chapel. And it just felt like an oasis. You know, you just feel that the Spirit of the Lord was there. And prisoners start filing in, probably about 100 that night. And uh, I'm just telling you, I was nervous. You had to preach in a box and, you know, just nervous, scared out of my mind. Knees were shaking. And, uh, and so until the prisoners started singing, I'm telling you, those guys were belting it out. I mean, veins popping, you know, the whole nine yards. And you just tell that they love the Lord. There was this guy on the very back row. And just the whole time, just arms crossed, shooting bullets. And I know where I'm at, you know. I know I'm in a prison, so, you know, I didn't think anything of it until the invitation. So we preached and invitation time came there was this guy on the front front row that just started chanting a name john 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 it was like an awkward 15 seconds you know because nobody's moving this one random guy is down here chanting this guy's name nobody moving so before long this whole section starts chanting the guy's name so then it got more awkward because now you have this one section you know that's chanting this guy's name nobody's moving Four long, literally, probably over a minute long, Finally, the whole place is chanting this guy's name. So this guy gets up from the back row. It's crazy. This guy gets up from the back row, starts walking down the aisle, tears coming down. It was John, the guy. They were chanting his name. Come to find out he was a, a, uh, one of the gang leaders in the prison. And he trusted Christ that night. It was awesome. He was crazy. One of the prisoners came down, met with them, and he trusted Christ. And, and obviously, that is, that's an awesome thing. But what stuck in my mind is what took place after. So as this guy's walking down, he's passing pews. I mean, guys just erupted. It was chaotic. Guys were high-fiving, crying, hugging. Guys from this, you know, section were running to this section. It It was amazing. Just erupted. And I just remember sitting up there thinking, man, I wonder what it's like in heaven. Yeah, it's good. There was rejoicing over one sinner that repenteth. This whole place erupted. Chaotic. I don't know how else to describe it. I wonder what it's like in heaven when one sinner repents. There's rejoicing in our text in the presence of the angels of God of a one sinner that repents. It's good. Amen. What brings joy to God is when a lost sinner becomes a found sinner. When a lost person becomes a found person. And the truth is this, God loves people, but he wants to use you in their lives to point them to him. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, Why y'all serve such an unfair God? What about the people in Africa who've, who've never heard the gospel message? What about the innocent guy in Africa? Truth is, there, there is no innocent guy in Africa. The default's never been heaven. Yeah, yeah. Right. Think about that. Yeah, true. What's unfair is us who know are not telling people. That's what's unfair. truth is that God wants to use you in the lives of people this week. You leave this, uh, leave a setting like this, sometimes you don't know exactly how to apply it. Here's what I would challenge you to do tonight. Think of one person. Sometimes we, we get lost in the billions of people around the world. We lose sight of the one. In the story, it was one, one out of 100, one out of 10, one out of two in the next story. I just challenge you, think of one person tonight that, that God would have you to pray about reaching into their lives with a gospel message of hope. One person. Amen. Pray and, and and see how God could use you in their lives. Let's make pursuing people our priority in life. God loves people. but He also wants to use you in their lives to point them to him. Yes. Let's surrender and let God do that. May God use us this week to reach in their lives with a gospel message. Lord,